Hi everyone, I'm Donna Tatro. Welcome to Kids Under Construction. Today is our first ever Daddy Talk with Donna on the podcast. We want to give dads a voice in this very mom-centric realm known as parenting. The role of fatherhood has gone through quite an overhaul in just one generation. I want to find out what dads are thinking. I want to know what dads are doing differently from what their own fathers did. I also want to dig deep and find out how dads and kids together are creating a new set of building blocks for families. My guest today is an awesome father. I've seen it firsthand. He's been nominated for two Golden Globe and SAG Awards. You know him from hit films and TV shows like The Good Wife, Law and Order, Sex and the City. But what you might not know is that he can be found sitting courtside cheering on his 12-year-old basketball-playing son, Orion, and more recently, just welcomed his second son, Keats, into the world. Undoubtedly, his biggest role to date is that of being simply dad. Please welcome Chris Noth. When I saw you, this was literally probably a couple weeks before the pandemic chaos broke out. We were watching a basketball game and Orion was kicking ass. I mean, he was, he is a really good basketball player. He's very good. It's heartbreaking that he, you know, he was in a league. We had him in a Nike basketball camp this summer and it all shut down. So, you know, we have one of those little, you know, we, he practices on his own all the time, just all the time. I mean, that's pretty amazing. You know, that's, that's kind of interesting because, I did a podcast about sports and how all these kids are getting sidelined. And some of these officials were saying the kids who are really into it are just going to keep going. They're not going to be sidelined. They're going to be practicing and playing at home. And it sounds like that's what Orion is doing. That's what Orion's doing. Yeah. That's so cool. So I want to talk to you first about um, becoming a father to Keats. I mean, you've got this little tiny baby now. Talk about this baby. Well, I'm not going to lie to you. It was a total shock. And I, I I was sort of petrified for the first, well, for a lot of the pregnancy. Because I just, I kind of felt like we had done it. And I'm at the age where I didn't know if I could handle it, you know. And now Ryan's at the age where he's a little more self-sufficient. And, you know, he's getting into sports. We can do things together. So I was like, oh, my God. But then you get this little bundle um, and he's so even when he cries, it's like a little cooing pigeon to me. I don't know. I never got to spend time with Orion when he was in fourth, but I was gone a lot. So I'm around him a lot now and it's uh, he's pretty adorable. I mean, you sort of watch the different movements of each as each week goes by because at first everything's sort of amorphous for them and they're figuring out shapes and colors. And, yeah. And then, you know, obviously Tara's with him 24-7. And, uh, but, and I love to see them together. That's something I missed also with Orion is just to see um, Tara with the love between her and Keats is so profound. I just like to watch them together, frankly. That is so beautiful. And how, how is Orion doing with Keats? I mean, is he a helper in this? I mean, you know, he's the big brother and he's into his basketball, but he, he, Keats talks to him all the time. Keats talks in a coo, kind of like he's like a little dove, you know, when he when he chirps, and it's adorable. And uh, he chirps a lot with Orion. Well, 
he does a lot of chirping with Orion. <laughs> and I um, changed, I shaved my head. So I had hair when he was first sort of getting to know me. And then I shaved it. And there was a transition there where he was like, what, who, what, who, what is this guy with a <laughs> bald? Who is this man? <laughs> That's so cute. And actually, I actually like your head shaved. It looks cool. Yeah, I'm going to keep it this way for a while because, um, you know, I'm getting really tired of being, out of whatever, for whatever reason, I, I'm always getting a part with a suit and a tie. <laughs> <laughs> it's always happening. So wait, I want to know a little bit about how you're seeing uh, Tara with this new baby. And you did say that you missed out on it with Orion, but how is this kind of, are, are you a different kind of father right now with Keats than you were with Orion? Well, I think I was different in that I'm more present and I'm here and I'm li we're all living together. You know, we're in quarantine and we're, we're very lucky to be out here and, you know, a house that's sort of on a perch and we have privacy and, so we're all hooked in together. And so I'm watching the daily movements, but yeah, it is different because I, I, um, I missed this with Orion. I didn't, I didn't, um, I don't think I really kicked in as a dad for him until he was at least one, you know, and a little after that. And with Keats for me, it's a day by day situation where I can just watch. I just love to watch him. I just love to watch him discover the world and you know it's just recently i've been getting him to smile at me and um i'm pretty good when tara will tell you this is kind of funny i'm pretty good at, at putting him down for sleep because i think he my my bo makes him pass out <laughs> i put him in my arms and he snuggles up into my armpit which tara can't tolerate i don't like to use deodorant believe it or not i'm an old hit that way i don't believe that stuff and I, he passes right out. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I think all the know that there be, you know, he knows my smell and he goes, he coos right down and then boom, he's out. He sleeps really, really well. He goes out at seven and he wakes up. It's well, he wakes up at night to feed and then he, uh, he doesn't wake up till seven. Wow. He's an easy baby. It sounds like I wish I would have had you around though, to put my kids to sleep. <laughs> Let me need my BO. I'll, I should bottle it. <laughs> so I want to know, I mean, look, we were on the soccer field and you got a little kind of excited. You were into soccer. We had a losing yeah. team though, which kind of sucked. <laughs> yeah, our team sucked and I didn't, our coach deserted us and it was like the league was kind of like, they made us pay for those uniforms. I never even got one and for the longest time, it was kind of ticked me off a little bit frankly, but it's good to see our kids play. No, I know. And, but I saw you on the field, you and Tara, and you guys are just like these cool, so into it parents, just watching every move, totally into it. Orion had to school Tara with like, mom, stop screaming because <laughs> she just can't help herself. She's not allowed to go to some of the basketball games because she was pregnant for most of them. And we, she gets, she said, I can't help myself. She gets so crazed and, uh, I do a little, but I'm able to control myself. I, I'm able to c control myself very well, uh, in terms of that. But we, um, we were, yeah, we were into it. He's, he's not doing soccer. He's just doing basketball now. But when, when I saw him playing basketball, I can see why he's, 
into basketball now because he is seriously good, aggressive. He's just agile. I mean, the way he moves around the basketball court is super cool. Waiting for his growth spurt, and we just don't know which way it's going to go. If it goes to the Tara's genes, he's not going to get too tall. If it goes to my genes, he'll shoot up because my mom was tall and my dad was tall. My brother's six foot six. My whole family on that side is tall. So we'll have to see. Was was uh, sports important for you growing up as a kid? Is that why you kind of are into it and Tara as well? I don't know about Tara. I think she was into sports early on. Early on, it was very important. While my father was alive, he wanted me to be a baseball player. And then when he died, when I was about 11, the problem is, is you have to have an institution that I was in public school in Stamford, Connecticut, and it was pretty terrible. And I didn't, I didn't do the sports and I didn't get back into sports until I went to to uh, sleepaway school at the Barlow School, a coeducational school. Then I got into soccer, completely into soccer through college. But I could have used more sports when I was like 13, 14, 15. I, uh, I uh, slacked off. I didn't have any direction. I was hanging out with the wrong crowd. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I mean, I looked a little bit at, at your background, and I, I wonder, is the way you're parenting and fathering – kind of based on what you went through as a kid that you're kind of looking at it a different way? Yeah, well, such a different time now. I mean, I had so much more freedom, for better or worse, because uh, we did live in a different time. It was like safety belts. What? Exactly. Wearing those. Helmets when you ride a bike? What are you kidding I mean, when I was 15, I was hitchhiking constantly, getting into strange people's cars and, you know, through, uh, I hitchhiked from up until the time I was 18 because it was a different world and we didn't, maybe it was because we didn't realize either it wasn't as dangerous as it is today or we didn't realize it was as dangerous. So we didn't feel it. And um, so when I was a kid, it was, I had a tremendous amount of freedom. Now, my mom worked in New York. She was a successful TV journalist, but she was in New York a lot, which we liked. <laughs> yeah, you love New York. <laughs> yeah, we liked that. We liked having freedom from parental, uh, you know, <laughs> well, <of course. laughs> rules. Right. I, I mean, I really grew up in a kind of wild way. I mean, uh, and I suffer. I, you know, I, I suffered for it later in terms of like disciplining myself for certain things. Um, my friendships with my crowd was very important as a teenager, but getting back to the, our crucial point, I think sports is a great thing for kids because it, they have teammates, they have a coach, they have structure and they have something that is alive in them that makes them want to compete in a healthy way. And, um, frankly, I didn't have that after 12 years old. And I think, you know, it, you know, I wish I had, I wish I had had that because um, I think team sports super important for kids, especially boys. I, on many, many different levels. What 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 else do you see beyond the sports aspect of it that's so important on all these different levels? Well, like like I'm watching, you know, he's watching like when he watches the Michael Jordan um, documentary that's on now, which is really intense, but learns about learning about taking it taking your fun seriously and then even going further with it. It teaches about commitment. 
I think. I think sports is a great way to teach you about commitment to something. Um, and it's tangible. And you can see your progress in it or lack thereof, maybe. And I think um, in that sense, it, it, I think it adds those values. And I'm, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop when my son's uh, teenage hormones drop. Whatever. I have to be ready for that. And, uh, well, I mean, and that's the problem. We didn't talk about this, but technology is something that this generation, our generation of parents has to deal with that they did. Our parents did not have to. And it's tough. Let, let's talk about that for a second. He's very adept at it. And, and, and I mean, very good at it, at these games that I don't begin to understand. And of course, we're lucky to have it right now because he can talk to his friends and see his friends and, and he needs them. And it would be terrible not to have that right now for that. Totally. I mean, maybe they could talk on the phone like I did when I was a kid, but then we could go out and see each other too. Yeah. So it comes in handy. What we're trying to get him to do right now is to read without it being homework, but actually going to a book because it's something you want to do instead of something you're assigned to do. And he goes to the basketball court without being told and all that, or goes to his computer and all that. But I, um, uh, we really want him to be able to go to a start opening a book on his own volition, you know, and that's the task at hand right now. But I mean, he does all his schoolwork and all the things that he's assigned to do, and he does it very well, but I want him to be more of a reader because um, it, it, opened up my life so much. Uh, yeah, it sounds like it totally did. Wait, but tell me about how you deal with him with technology. Like what's on the internet, social uh -oh. media, well, he doesn't all that have, kind of stuff. Know, he's not allowed social media. We don't, he doesn't have a phone. He has an iPad and he's, he's allowed to a certain extent, a certain amount of time. And uh, he's not allowed to go on, you know, he's allowed to communicate with his friends and they play, there are certain video games they play. Uh, uh, but, uh, and we trust him also uh, that he's not able to get on any kind of a, uh, you know, I mean, I, uh, he's out in the open with it when he's with us. So I know he's not on any weird site or something. I mean, what about you? What, how do you find it? Uh, yeah, I, we are very much alike in this because Jackson's 12 and Asher's 11 and neither of them have a phone. Right. And we've gone back and forth with it. And the only thing that I can keep saying to him is, it's my job to protect you. I know what this does to a kid's brain, anxiety, depression, yeah. all this kind of stuff. And I think if parents really knew that this, these were the side effects, they may pull back a little bit more because this research is new and is coming out and it's showing there is a correlation to social media and early phone use to anxiety, depression, and, you know, other issues. I actually, this is interesting for you if you have time with in between all your reading is we did a podcast called The Porn Talk is the New Sex Talk because what kids are seeing on the internet, by age 12, a third of kids have already seen porn. Yeah, that's going to be problematic when he gets into the upper school, you know, as they become teenagers and friends talk and, and things like that. We just keep our eyes and ears open. 
And that and you got to talk to your kid about it. Yeah, yeah, and that's also where activities and sports and you know if he's got enough homework to do and enough chores to do and things like that, he's not going to have time for that. And if his and he wants to keep his game up, so that's part of our job. And part of it though is getting. Hopefully, they're in an environment, but you can't overprotect your kid. I mean, God, I mean, I say that and yet I, you know, and I've said to Tara, it's like, I certainly wouldn't want my kid going, <laughs> I wouldn't want him to like have, be, have the kind of shit I did. <laughs> <laughs> Alive. I mean, so in a way he is protected, but it's, uh, there's just a lot more stuff out there. Right. I mean, it yeah, feels that way. It's a lot a of lot. stuff. I mean, There's, I understand it. I have Instagram and every once in a while I like to put a photo out there with friends and stuff like that, uh, you know, or whatever, because I have a fan base, I guess. But I, I don't do I don't Twitter. I don't do Facebook or any of that. I mean, you got to just really keep it controlled and not fall into the, the useless trap of going over and over to see how many hits you have or whatever. Um, I, oh, yeah. It's addictive. It's like gambling. Yes, Exactly. And uh, the way to pull out of it is, is I think, um, everything else we talked about, reading and, and um, uh, challenging yourself intellectually and physically. It's, it's, uh, it's now I'm, my challenge to myself now is to do more meditation, which uh, is, can be helpful in times like these. Oh, I love that. We, we do meditation. Do, does Orion meditate as well? They won't meditate with me. But but you do do you do it daily? I try, you know. That's I have a app. It's a wonderful app called Headspace. And, oh yeah. And he's uh, the guy that guides me through it. Is brilliant, and uh, it's 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 slow going going, but he's also so profoundly simple and wise that it's helpful for me to have the the particular guy in the app who guides you through the meditation. Um, it's been a big help to me. Yeah, that's really cool. It helps me too. And I try to get my boys on it and they do do it, but not for a long period of time. I feel like you are a really in tune dad. I mean, and I feel like the evolution of, of fatherhood has, has changed. I mean, just from when my dad, when I, you know, my, our parents to now dads are so much more a part of yeah. the shaping of the child and of the family way more than in prior yeah. generations. I think though society, think about it. I grew up in a cloud of smoke. They were smoking when they woke up, when they went to bed, drink. I mean, at least my family was and all their friends. It was, it was, uh, it was a bit of benign ignorance. Um, and then finally not so much ignorance because they probably knew that they shouldn't be, but um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the whole phrase of children should be seen and not heard that whole yeah. kind of thing. Um, there was a lot of, it was just a different time. Cause as much as it was that there was also a lot more freedom for us kids. We went on a weekend. It was like, we're out the door at 11 in the morning. And we'll see dinner time. You didn't know, they didn't know where we were nope. on my bike or when I was 13 or 14 hitchhiking with my buddies. And then basically I, I left, by the, when I went to Barlow, that was, I left home, basically. That was the beginning of my, you know, severing of, like, uh, being with parents. Or I mean, I lived with my girlfriend right after college in Brooklyn, New York, for a year. Right after high school, I mean, my high school girlfriend. We moved in, we went, 
and spent the summer in New York. I worked at Willowbrook, and they called it this, by the way, Willowbrook State School for the Retarded. Can you imagine? No. The city called it that. And <laughs> I got the job because of all people, Geraldo Rivera, who once upon a time was a good guy before he became a conservative nut, went in there, did an expose on it undercover and showed what a terrible what oh. handling there were dead people in the hall kids in the their own feces it was so they hired kids over the summer to who knew nothing just needed a job like me to create a summer camp for these severely challenged people it was insane i would uh, it war, sounds insane it was in ward 20 walking it was on staten island and i remember walking toward ward 20 the sounds coming out of the ward were like uh, uh, an insane zoo kids oh. jumping out of windows and I, I it was a it was like the 10th circle of dante's hell uh, it, it's another whole thing you don't want to you don't want to know i just didn't have a i didn't have the parental uh guidelines really i mean my mom was a disciplinarian but she was she was kind of after the fact when i was getting in trouble <laughs> I was already getting in trouble. And um, I mean, part of that's why I'm an actor, though, too, because as an actor, I remember being told, you, like Stella Adler used to say, you can't be a lady and be an actress. <laughs> also, and Sandy Meisner used to say, everything that's bad for you in life is great for you in acting. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of fit for me. But I don't want that for my... I'm, and I'm really glad so far he doesn't want anything to do with the entertainment industry. So I'm, uh, believe it or not, for someone who didn't have as much structure when he was young, I, I want that for him. So, so beyond the structure of what you felt you needed, what else was lacking? Like, what, what did you need as a kid, as little Chris? What did you need? Oh, gosh. You know, I don't want to get too dark. <laughs> Tell me how you said, feel. You don't have to get dark. Go go well, where you can, but tell me what you thought you needed. Well, my mom, for instance, who I, I, I love very much, she passed away in 2016 at 91, 92, so she lived a long life. She could have been a bit more of a pal, you know. I, don't, I think she lacked empathy and understanding of, she was just too busy trying to control three sons without a father. So, so... I think for her, it was a struggle to like not be overcome, you know, and to get control and to make sure that she had the control. And um, and that made for a difficult time uh, between her sons and her. Um, I took care of my mom toward the end of her life, but I spent my whole youth trying to stay away from her. And that said, she came to every play I was in, and, and she also um, was a cheerleader in terms of her big thing was find what you want to do and, and really do it and, and do it well. So she did have that. But on a, I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I wish I could have hung out more on a, a level of uh, she identified herself as the mom, you know, the person who was going to call the shots and be tell you what the rules were and she couldn't let go of that control and it alienated her kids i think yeah that's really interesting it's interesting that you look back on it like that because as a single mom after your father passed she 
had to have some sense of control. So it kind of pulled her away from being able to be that empathetic person that you're saying you needed potentially. Yeah. And she was dealing with three boys who were in their teenage. Well, my oldest brother was always a very great in scholastics and sports and Ivy league and all that. So it wasn't, he, he didn't need disciplining. My other brother and I did. And don't forget that this is the seventies where, you know, early seventies, end of the sixties. And there were drugs happening and we were all, we were getting involved with the marijuana and all that stuff. And, and the whole mindset of that time was, was very prevalent. And, and so freedom and uh, freedom of expression and, you know, was, you know, part of the, just part of the, part of the era. So she had a tough time and she was a very successful woman, but, she demanded success from her kids. So, you know, she was, um, uh, it's really hard to describe. I always felt that my mom, even with, when I became successful, was very much, very extremely proud. And um, she's a tough woman. She was very tough and she had a tough time. So I, I have to, I have to, uh, forgive that. And I, like I said, we came together as she got older and I took care of her and bought her a place in Hawaii where she lived for 10 years or so. She passed there and um, tried to make her life as comfortable as I could for her toward the end. She was headstrong, you know, it was her way of the highway kind of thing. Are you headstrong that way? I don't, I, I, no. I mean, I am, but I, I, I in some ways, but I think um, I, I don't, I mean, I know when I disagree with my my son about things, or I've been upset at him before, but I think that that was a lesson for me in terms of parenting to always remind myself that I want to be different than the way, than what happened to me. I mean, I'm gruff. I'm gruff. And Tara will say that. I'm gruff. A lot of times, like, you know, she'll say, what are you yelling about? I'm, I'm not yelling. I'm making up, you know, but it's my personality. I don't, you know. Right. I'm not, you know, but I don't believe in disciplining by spanking or any of that stuff or um and uh, and also really the this the disciplinarian in this family is tara i mean i try to but the real the buck stops with her you know <laughs> i totally know it's like that at this house too i think it's yeah. interesting though because it sounds like you had a, a rough time and you were able to get out of it though so how how were you able to say, you know what, I got to stop the drugs, I got to stop the goofing off, I got to get it together? If you didn't have that person or persons telling you that, how did how did that come to be that you were able to pull yourself? Yeah, I was I was definitely headed to a penitentiary. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, Mister Pig, forget about it. I was uh, a juvenile delinquent in many ways. Um, well, um, and I'm actually trying to write this as a, uh, a series. I, I got kicked out of a lot of schools. Um, my mom got remarried. We moved to the West. I hated it. I got involved in drugs. I got caught. She freaked out, you know, and she wanted to get me in an Ivy League school. And, of course, they weren't having anything to do with me. <laughs> It was kind of like, oh, no, your son is not qualified to be here. 
academically, behaviorally, you know, everything we represent, you know, <laughs> is not him. But there is this one school, uh, and it's a there are a few schools out there like it. It's a coeducational art school. They have a different idea of education. It's called the Barlow School, and you might want to try there because I, you know, I, I definitely wasn't going back to Newport where she married this guy. She didn't last very long, by the okay. way. Um, and we got there to this beautiful campus. I'll make this short. We got to in the, the hills of farm country of Dutchess Hill, New, New York State. Gorgeous. And on a hillside is this campus. And we turn the corner and we're coming down. As we go toward the headmaster's house, a colonial, beautiful colonial house, I look to the left as she's going to looking to the right to turn. And I see about four girls skinny dipping. <laughs> and I'm like, my jaw drops down. And I look over at my mom and I just go, have a very good feeling about this place, mom. <laughs> <laughs> and uh the stories proceed from there because uh luckily uh kit kit lake the woman this old fussy woman that was the secretary to the headmaster who interviewed us first sort of caught on that my mom thought it was just a hippie school and she got very angry and said we have a new headmaster and we did jim brewer and he takes education very seriously mrs noth do not uh, look at us that way. You know, she school schooled her, scolded her. Yeah. And that was really good because my mother was impressed by that. <laughs> oh, someone stood up to her. So I, I, I went there and actually the first day I got to my, 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 what we called dorm, which was basically a, a house. And I, I can't, um, uh, it was just beautiful, uh, uh, campus. And my, headmaster was a man named Peter Fish, who was a, all the teachers were very young and they were all artists. Peter was a poet in a big mustache and big John Lennon glasses. And he was married to his wife and her name was Sasha. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of had an attitude right away. Like, well, someone's going to discipline me or do something and I'm going to get thrown out of here probably too. So he introduced himself to me and I looked at him and I said, well, sir, what are the rules here? And he just looked at me and he had these blue twinkly eyes and he said, what rules? <laughs> you were like, yes. <laughs> and, and that was the beginning of like my home for three years. And that was really a kind of a hodgepodge education of eclectic kind of, I mean, we were reading T.S. Eliot. I didn't even know who that was or what, it, you yeah. know what I mean? things being thrown at me in a way that had never and suddenly you know there were all these beautiful young girls sophisticated beyond their age and for them the cool thing wasn't to be an idiot you know it was to be an artist they were all painters and potters and sculptors and musicians and poets and that changed my life i i mean wow uh at the lowest common denominator it was kind of saying these pretty girls like this kind of person. So I'm going to become that kind of person, you know, hormones kind of set you up, but then you kind of have fun, take your fun seriously. And, when, and, um, it was, uh, extraordinary. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually trying to create something for, um, the streamless cable, uh, about it. Cause I, I it was one of those, it was the last gasp of that era before I think, everything became what it is today, corporate 
you know, uh, tyranny. Well, look, I, I, I think this whole fun until it becomes serious or something that you really want to do. I, I like that. And I think it's actually a really smart way to help our kids like through life because it's like, if yeah. you just look at like the sports part of how, you know, take your fun seriously. Exactly. T- once you figure out what's fun, then you take, I, I love that I mean, because you're allowing yourself to be who you're supposed to be enjoying. You have to be where someone would say, well, okay, I'll smoke 50 joints then. But no, we don't mean that kind of fun because I mean, th- th- it is a kind of um, discipline, whatever you decide. I mean, but you know, whether it's, you like to play the piano or something, it, it starts out as uh, just fun and joyous or sports and and then it snowballs into something where you take it to the next level and you can see the growth of that and you can feel it and i and i kind of feel my son has a lot more confidence since he's become a good basketball player he was very shy and kind of um didn't wasn't as outgoing and i really feel that sports has made him a lot more outgoing so that's so cool it's the whole growth where they're starting to feel that fun being serious to them i i love i really like this and i think it's a really good lesson for parents who want their kid to potentially be something that they think they should be but if the child can find what's fun to them whatever is fun to them it, that will develop i really believe it you know i have to say though on the opposite side of that, if he all of a sudden wanted to be an actor, I'd be like, oh, no, you would let I'd him. Probably try. You, but you would let him. I'd, I'd eventually let him. Well, we got, you know, years ago, actually, I got uh, a call. I don't know how it happened. I, cause maybe a picture of him got out and someone had a movie, a big, it was rather big Disney movie. And they called me about having him come play a part in it or would I consider it? Okay. And I said, well, what about school? And they said, well, he'd have to, you know, be schooled on the set or something. I said, absolutely not. Forget it. There's no way. And that was the end of that. I've never had to, because he doesn't like, anyway, he doesn't want to be an actor. So I'm grateful, you know. So I want to talk about you then, acting, mister. Uh, I mean, you've been in everything. What has been one of your favorite roles? Um, Actually, I think the project, well, lately, at least, um, the one that I liked the most, I wish it had gotten a little more attention, was Manhunt Unabomber. Um, okay, tell us about it. That's on Netflix. That was about the uh, Kaczynski uh, Unabomber, the guy that was bombing. And yeah. I played the head of the San Francisco FBI department, which sounded like just another police role. But the writing was so good and so specific and character-oriented and, and really... Um, interesting and nuanced that uh, I, and, and I was really pleased with how it came out. My problem with a lot of times of the network shows I do is the, they have so many episodes that they have to sort of put out there that it it becomes, uh, it becomes that they just put it out there and, and the way they edit it is not done with great care. They don't, they care more about the story than about the moments in between that you're creating. So they miss a lot. And as an actor, you remember what you do in a scene. And it's always a little disappointing because the tail that wags the dog in networks are the commercials and the ratings and all that shit. And um, so this, when you get really good writing for an actor, more than half your job is done for you. 
it's 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 really where all the technique comes in is when you have bad writing, you know, <laughs> or soapy melodramatic stuff, and you've got to find a way around it, or or even what I consider really the most difficult and most boring would be um, procedural stuff, like not the first few years I did in Law and Order, but what Law and Order became, and then all the shows that mimicked it, and you know all the different variations of yeah. I find them, it's all the same to me. I can't tell one person from another. So you are, though, going to be starting a new show. You just signed a deal with CBS called The Equalizer with Queen Latifah. The Equalizer is kind of a rogue, um, sort of a rogue cop, if you will, who takes on cases where the police have failed or, or, or people don't want to go to them. So they're they're kind of like a Robin Hood of law, okay. If, if you would, if you if you could imagine, and um, they go uh, to places that are kind of unexpected, and they deal with people who um, they deal with crimes that that either the police or the FBI have dropped or can't handle. So people go to to the Equalizer as a last resort to get equal justice, so, so to speak. But you know, that said, I only read the pilot of this, so I don't know uh, quite uh, where they're heading. But I think it's really interesting that Queen Latifah's doing it because she's got a great presence. I I really like her. But that was an old show back in the day with uh, that English Australian actor. He's a great actor. He was in a movie called Breaker Morant, and that was one of the first shows in New York for, after a while that shot in New York. Edward uh, Edward, I forget his name. So it's a, you know, I'm a big fan of the Queen Latifah. So I wasn't going to do it. And, but we found a way for me to do it so that I wouldn't be hogtied to it. Okay. In other words, you know, I don't, I don't run the show. I, I don't, uh, I, I come in and out. So the most important thing for me is, is to be in something. And I like what they've got. And I, I'm hoping that it will, uh, even though it was a show done years and years ago, and it's done in a movie with Queen Latifah, it gives it a new spin. And uh, I like the relationship between us so far. Who knows when it'll happen, by the way. But um, for me, the most important thing is, is um, do I have the freedom to go off and do a play or do other things? I don't want to put security ahead of that because I've been in the game for a while. And I think that I've created enough Although with this pandemic, you go, geez, I we're all like, let's get, a, let's get a job fast. I know, yeah. So I, I, I like the people in it. I, I, I don't know where it's going, but we'll see. Um, and um, I'm, I'm going to kind of jump into it and do the best I can. How do you think production's going to unfold as we go? I mean, what are, what are you hearing from your... I'm hearing nothing. Between you and me, though, I don't see how anything can start before January. Yeah. If you've been reading the paper, but every peri periodical that I've been reading is saying we're going to have a second wave of this. It's going to be worse than the first because of all these, you know, dummies who are talking about their rights and everything like that going out and um, creating, uh, spreading the disease more. No, I know. And I mean, let's let's talk about the pandemic. Let's I mean, how has it changed you as a person and how you go out in the world and what you're thinking about the future with your two sons. I mean, like I can't, I can't think about the future almost because it's too, I have to take it day by day because I'm, you know, Tara's 
always has already been already loved quarantines being up here with the family and 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 all that and i'm more like i like to travel when you know and bring the family and we have a house out east i i miss the berkshires i i miss new york but new york is like i wouldn't want to be in new york right now no the only thing missing in new york are the tumbleweeds going down the avenue so um i'm very lucky as we talked about before to be right now at least um in a very beautiful spot and and it feels like i was talking to someone i said it reminds me of in college you know uh i went to a little college or or, or barlow we were in a spot away from everything you know our cocoon of love as tara says which was books and projects and you know it's time to read books a lot it's time to meditate and make music and it's just i miss people though i do i i, I like having friends and you know what we're trying to do is find, you know, I wish we could find a group that we know are safe, that we could commune with, you know. I know what you're saying. I had a friend of mine who said, you know, a doctor friend of hers said, just jump in the pool and maybe have one family over because the chlorine, you know, knocks it out. Or but just, you know, whatever. It's just, you just don't know. So that's, that's the thing. But yeah. So for the most part, though, you are so lucky to have the situation you do. And it sounds like you feel yeah. it and recognize it. I totally recognize it. And I know I have a lot of friends very depressed in New York, and they're still better off than a lot of folks who are suffering by overcrowding living conditions. Can you imagine in cities? You know, that's why it's affecting minorities a lot. So I want the last thing I want to ask you is I know you're an avid reader. Tell me what you're reading now and what you might recommend to somebody out there who needs some kind of distraction. Oh, I'm reading and I'll show you. I just picked it up. It's really good. It's called Cleopatra, A Life, Stacy Schiff. Okay. It's a kind of fictional biography. I love history. And um, so I started on that. Uh, just recently. Yeah, it's time to read great books. That's for sure. It is. I just read, um, I love the Civil War, the history of the Civil War. So I'm reading some books on that. I mean, you know, there's a lot to read out there. There uh, really is. I I was started a, a, a sort of a, with another couple of maybe a, where I said, let's pick something. I'll pick the first novel. So I picked this novel called A Modern Instance by a guy named Howell which is takes place. It's about a, <laughs> it was really tough going. It was a little bit <laughs> like, uh, he was a journalist in the 1870s and he wrote, and he was a very popular one, but, uh, it, it's, it's a kind of reflection of society, the wars of society then. And it's about a divorce of the, what, like a divorce at a time when divorce was unthinkable. And, um, it was pretty stiff. It was pretty hard going <laughs> and they all dropped out. I, but I, I, cause I, I can't start a book even if it's bad and not finish it. Are you serious? Oh, see, I could drop a book like that. I wanted to, this book was torture and this is a <laughs> really well-regarded book. It's considered to be a, uh, an American masterpiece. Look them up. It's called a modern instant. And uh, you know, actually, um, there are, there are some, hold on. Cause I got to show you the cover of this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there are good things about it. It's just that the articulation of it and the, the language and the dialogue is like, like Jane Austen, Oscar Wilde, but not as funny and, and kind of Victorian. It's, 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 it's almost funny and hard to get through, but what it does, it's, 
a lot about the hypocrisy of society then. Here it is. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. It's rough. It's, it's rough. <laughs> this is the next one I'm going to read. Um, the March. About the Civil War. Because um, um, I read a book called Killer Angels. That's a great book to read about Gettysburg, the Battle of Gettysburg. Oh, very cool. You know what? Have you read um, Trevor Noah's Born a Crime yet? No. You would like that. What uh, What's that about? It's about his life growing up in South Africa and apartheid and his whole relationship with his mom and how they got out and just this tension between them two as as um, son and mother. Who I, is I think it again? you might like it. It's pretty Noah. funny. Trevor Noah. Oh, really? Trevor wow. Noah. Yeah. Is it like born a, a crime? Is it his own kind of a diary kind of? Yeah. It's not a biography. It's, it's really cool. Smart, dude. Try uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I have to get through Cleopatra first. <laughs> All right, fine. Hey, I, I, you know what? This has been such a cool conversation and so much fun. Yeah, it was good. When we all get out, we'll, we'll go to that dinner like we had yeah. talked about. Get out of this prison. That would be fun. I'd like. Yeah. Uh, we would like to have you guys over and come over to our perch and we'll drink some wine then. Thank you so much. You got it. So lots of great stories and things to think about from Chris Noth. He is a dad in the trenches, a brand new baby and a 12-year-old. Hopefully our conversation was a respite for him as he heads back into daddy land now. Make sure you watch him on The Equalizer with Queen Latifah coming soon to CBS. Thanks for listening to this episode of Kids Under Construction. You can follow me on Instagram at Donna Tatro. Be sure to subscribe, download, listen, and tell your friends about this podcast. And let's keep building some amazing kids.